I'm going to actually turn to Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 6. Have we gotten acquainted with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 yet? After this message, we're going to be moving on. So, uh, y'all just bear with me through one more sermon on the, through these verses. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Let's go to the Father in prayer once again. Lord, we do ask for your blessings on the message. God, I pray that you speak through me. Lord, give me the words to say. Help me to recall what I've studied. Speak through me tonight. And I pray that your will be done in all that we say and do. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the past several weeks, we've been focusing on setting straight some of the theological teachings behind chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. And doing so has caused us to sit idle in our progression through these verses. We have examined verses 3 through 6, and we actually went on down through 14 last week. We've examined it, we've defined some of the words, we've discussed what they're talking about, and, and several of the verses ahead as well. And so there's really only one thing left to do, and that is just to explore those verses. And so hopefully based upon all the understanding and the definitions and, and things that we've looked at before, now we're able just to press on through these verses and explore what they're, uh, what they're talking about and how they have uh, to do with us. So in this message, uh, of course, having a better understanding of our more difficult terms, I want us to focus on the teaching and the application that's given to us in these verses. And really, we're just going to look at three simple things tonight. And verse 4 is where we're going to begin. And we're going to talk about uh, three different things. First thing I want us to look at is that we are appointed, and we find that in verse 4. We are appointed. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on verse 3, which really is the key verse in the entire book of Ephesians, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so we talked about what those heavenly places are. We talked about what it means to be in Christ. But I want you to look with me in verse 4. It says, According as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, as we've already pointed out in previous messages, the word chosen that we find there in verse 4 speaks not of our picking but rather speaks of our purpose. And so chosen is not how God picked us above other people to be saved, but chosen is about how that we as saved people, it is the purpose for which God has called us to. It is, it is the, uh, uh, the, the purpose that He wants to fulfill in and through us. Now, understand that if you're a member of our church or, or of any church, that there was not a committee that went through your resume or recruited you to become a church member. Was there? Did y'all have any of that going on? We didn't call in applicants and, and go through the resumes and, and see who was 
qualified. We didn't walk through the community and knock on doors and pick you to be a part of our club while leaving other people out. Uh, You are a member because, number one, you came to church. Uh, Number two, you met the qualifications. What were the qualifications? You were saved by grace through faith. You were baptized in a local New Testament church. And you have scriptural baptism. And, uh, And then because you desire to join. Now, because you came with those qualifications and with the desire to join this church, then you became a member of our church. And so it's not that we chose you to become a member, but you are now a member. And as a church member, now there are certain things that are expected of you. So we can say now that you're on this side of the fence. We can say that as a church member, you have, as a church, we, we have chosen that there are certain things that you are going to do certain roles that you are going to fulfill so on and so forth and then we can encourage and teach and and strengthen you in those purposes well i believe that as a child of god although god did not choose you over someone else to be saved but that as a child of god since you are a child of god i believe that the father expects some things from you would you agree with that that the lord expects some things from you In fact, he has determined that he is going to work those things in you. And so as children of God, the Father chose before creation that we in Christ would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, as we're looking through verse 4, we need to pay close attention to the prepositions in this chapter If you don't know what a preposition is, the easiest way I've taught it to my kids and other people and it was taught to me was a preposition is anything that a squirrel can do to a tree. All right, so a squirrel can go around a tree, in a tree, up a tree, down a tree, through a tree, under a tree, over a tree. Those are prepositions. All right, and we need to pay close attention to to the prepositions that we find here in verse 4. Now, I want you to look. We're going to ask a couple of questions here. As far as our purpose in Christ and who we are in Christ and what God wants to do for us in Christ, we're going to ask a a couple of questions here. First of all, we were chosen how? Well, look in verse 4. We were chosen, as it says here, according as he has chosen us, look at this, in him. How were we chosen? We were chosen in Christ. We were chosen in Him. Now, when were we chosen? Well, it says before the foundation of the world. For what purpose did He choose us? Well, we continue to read on. It says He chose us to be something. It says that we should be holy and blameless uh, or without, without blame before Him in love. And where were we chosen? Well, we find that at the end there. We were chosen before Him, or in front of Him, or in the face of Him. Now, what does it mean to be chosen? We've covered this. We've given some some basic meanings to this. But I want you to look at this word chosen here, there in verse 4. It says, uh, it says, according as He had chosen us in Him, and the word chosen comes from a Greek word that means to, de- to select or to decide beforehand. Now understand, I have no problem whatsoever with the word chosen meaning that God has selected us. I have no problem with that whatsoever. God has selected. He has chosen. He has decided something. He, he's made a decision. We, we find that very clearly in the word chosen. 
But while most commentaries want to focus uh, in this verse on us being chosen to salvation, a thorough study of the language and context reveals that the emphasis of chosen in this verse is not on what we're chosen from, but on what we're chosen to. It points towards a purpose. And we're going to find that on, on all of these words. It's not salvation, but it's the purpose that God has for us in Christ. It's the purpose that, that He wants to fulfill in us as His people. Now, I have a quote here from one of the, the word studies that I have. And I was just strictly looking at uh, this word chosen from, from a word study perspective. And this is a quotation that I have from, from one of these studies. It mentions the fact that this word chosen is also used in 1 Peter And it says in our first Peter passage, the method that God used in saving individuals is in view. So when you go to first Peter, you read whatever the verse is, it's talking about the method that God used to save us. But he says here in our Ephesians text it's the result of the salvation that is in view. Again, not that we're saved or chosen above or over someone else, but the fact that we have been chosen to something. That we are, we are chosen for a purpose. And so we find here in this verse that we are chosen in Christ to a purpose. Now, I'm sure that you are sick and tired of hearing this. If you're sick and tired of hearing this, say amen. amen. There's a couple of people that are sick and tired of hearing this. But I'm going to tell you why I keep saying this. Because as soon as I stop saying what this is talking about, someone's going to come out with a Bible and say, what does it mean that we're chosen? All right, so I'm just, we're just going to keep going over this and keep spelling this out as we go through here because I want us to be very clear on what this word means. Now, we've established the fact that we are chosen to a purpose, but as we continue reading on in verse 4, the purpose becomes very clear. He tells us exactly what the purpose is, what we're chosen for. It says, we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Amen. Yay for that. But for what purpose? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Our purpose is clearly, as it says here, as it states, to be holy and blameless. Now these words don't talk about our nature. As far as my nature is concerned, when I, when I trusted Christ as Savior, I became spiritually holy, spiritually spotless. But here it's not necessarily talking about my nature, it's talking about my character, the way that I behave and the way that I act. And God's goal and purpose for me as a child of God is that not only is my spirit set aside and holy for Him, but that every part of me becomes holy and blameless before Him. Now the word holy is is very easy. Uh, we We always talk about the word holy means what? Well, sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Set apart or separated for something. The holy, holy means the same thing. A saint is one, they are separated ones or they are they're ones that have been set aside. Uh, they are holy ones. And so the word here for holy just simply means to be separated or set aside. But I like another definition that I find here. Uh, it goes right along with the other one, but it, it means to be dedicated to God. You know that God's goal and, and desire for you is to dedicate yourself, your whole body, to dedicate your eyes, to dedicate your mouth and your feet and your hands and and your mind and your words, everything, to make that wholly dedicated to Him. 
to dedicate your whole being for Him and, and for His purposes. He wants us to be holy, separated and dedicated to God. The second word there is blameless, which means free from spot, or it means, of course, spotless. Uh, free, free from spot or spotless in the sense of, you know, when they would take sacrifices... And they would offer them, remember, they had to be spotless lambs, means without a blemish, without any, any, anything wrong before. And so his goal and desire is to see us to become holy and blameless before him. Now, one last thing to note here is that he wants us to be holy and blameless. If you look at the end of verse four there, to be holy and blameless before him. It's easy for us to appear holy outwardly to other people. I can do a really good job of fooling you into thinking that I'm holy and blameless. And on the outside, you may not find a blemish. You may not find a spot. But Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that the Word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharp and it divides me asunder. And that God has the ability to, to cut right down to the joints and the marrow, to, to discern the soul and the spirit, and to see my very intentions. And it says, every part of me is laid open and bare before Him. Meaning that you can do a really good job trying to trick me, but you can't trick God. You, you might be full of me at church. <laughs> You're not fooling God. He sees you everywhere. He sees you when nobody else is around. He sees you when you're at work. He sees you when you're at school. He hears all the stuff that's being said and done. There's no escaping that. So God's goal is not for us to, to be cleaned up on the outside where we're presented as holy and blameless to other people. But he says that his purpose is that we become holy and blameless before him. What that means is that he's going to continue putting us through a cleansing process until he gets to the point where he's satisfied with us. Where he says, you are now holy and blameless. And he's just going to keep working on us and keep working on us uh, until he gets us to that point. Now, we know that that is never completely going to take place until when? Until, yeah, until we get a glorified body and, and uh, he, puts, he puts some new, uh, you know, new parts on us and, and you know, perfects us. But the thing is that right now we're going through a process called sanctification where God is, is continually working in us and, and purging us and cleansing us. He's putting us through the test and, and through the fires so that we come out better and stronger and, and cleaner on the other side. And, and that is what his goal is, is to see us to become holy and blameless before him. You know, really, we'll talk about predestinated in the next verse, but the, in Romans chapter 8, it really spells it all out for us that God has predestined us to be, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. Here it says that he's chosen us before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless before him. And so really what we have is he's got a model. He has a, a goal here is Jesus Christ. And he's going to keep looking at us and working on us until we come to the full stature and maturity of Christ. Now, that again, it's not going to be accomplished here during our lifetime, but he's going to work on it as much as he can while we're here. And our job is just to continue submitting to that working in our lives. I was thinking about when we clean the house or, or when the kids clean the house. 
Now, Mickey has some very, very high standards. Let me say this for cleaning the house. Would you agree, Taylor? Would you agree, Josh? And here's the thing. Mom could say, now mom works at nights, so she's gone in the afternoons. And evidently, it is falling upon me to be the overseer of everything getting cleaned. All right, so I've got to make sure all the chores are done. Now, when I go tell the children to clean the room, I don't just say clean the room. Or I don't just say clean the floor or sweep the floor. I don't just say wash the dishes. That's not what I say because they can do a little bit and I'll be satisfied. I can look on the out, you know, I can just look at it and say, that's good. But here's what I have to say. You need to make it mom clean. You need to make, you need to clean the dishes like mom wants you to clean the dishes. And they know that they got to put it, you know, there's a little bit more that has to be done there because her, her specs and her expectations are, are a little bit higher than mine when it comes to that stuff. And that's the thing is that our goal and God's goal is not just for us to become clean uh, to other people's standards, but to become clean and holy and blameless before him to, to his standards and to his goals. Now, the second thing we find here is that not only have we been appointed to something, but we've also been adopted, and we find this in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, we've already defined the word predestined and adoption in some previous messages as well. Predestined simply means to determine something beforehand. And adoption, as we've said over and over again, adoption is connected to our inheritance. I've made a few anecdotal statements about adoption so far, but I want us to look at and study at the word just a little bit further in depth. And really, I think the best explanation we have of this is, uh, is over in Galatians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 7. And the word adoption is really just referring to a Roman custom uh, that's described there in, in the book of Galatians. So just turn back with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4. And let's read verses 1 through 7. As I read, I'm going to try my best to take some of these and thous out so you can just listen and, and uh, be able to, to see and hear what we're saying. He says in verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the what? Adoption of sons. He says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but what? A son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now the term adoption that we find here and over in the book of Ephesians as well, really just means to be made an adult son. It gives the picture of someone that has been brought into a family and has been adopted not just as a child. There's actually another word for child, but, but he's been adopted and brought in as an adult son, a mature son who is, uh, as an adult child, made legally eligible to be a partaker in the divine inheritance of our Heavenly Father. I know we've covered that some, but I just want to give, give that meaning of adoption one, once more. That adoption makes us adult children that are legally eligible to partake in this divine inheritance. 
And so as we find here, as an adopted son, which we've been predestined to become, and not just to become children, but to become adopted sons who are eligible for the inheritance, as an adopted son, we are joint heirs of everything that Jesus has inherited. When I say adopted son, it's, it's not really talking about gender there. We're adopted children. If you're a child of God, you have been adopted. You have been made a mature child that is ready to receive and partake in this divine inheritance. Now, I made the statement that as a joint heir, we, we become, or as, a, as adopted, we become a joint heir of everything that Jesus has inherited. Now, the question I have for you is, how much has Jesus inherited? Everything, right. And so we become a partaker of all, a joint heir of everything that he has inherited. And again, this goes back to the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Now let's move on from those things we've already discussed before. And as we consider all this, what we find is that God determined beforehand that we would be adopted as adult children and given legal and civil rights to be called children and heirs of God. Now, the question that we have for today is, we we understand that this is true. The question I want to ask you is, why? Why would God do that for us? Do you remember what you were before Christ? Do you remember what you had done? What you were guilty of? What you were worthy of? You weren't worthy of becoming His child. You weren't worthy of becoming a joint heir with Christ. You are worthy of, of heaven or any of the other blessings that He's given us. But we find here that He is still, nonetheless, He has done these things for us. And I'm going to give you three reasons why God would do that. And the first reason is because, just very simply, because He loves us. If you look at the end of verse 4, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, According as He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, or without blame, before Him. And then I want you to notice it says, in love. There, there is some debate over whether or not, and understand, Paul didn't put the verse divisions or chapter divisions in this. This was put in later. So there's been some discussion and division over whether or not in love should be attached to verse 4 or if it's supposed to be connected down into verse 5. Some of what I've looked at, I, I personally think that it probably goes along with the verse 5. That not just that we were, as it says in verse 4, to be holy and blameless before Him in love, but that we were to be holy and blameless before Him, and then, in love, He has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now, whichever way it goes, it doesn't matter because it was done in love. So, whether one part or the other, it doesn't really matter. But just for our teaching purposes, I I wanted to bring that out. That uh, He he does this, he He has made us a part of this because He loves us. Also, we find in verse 5 that he did this because it pleased him to do so. It made God happy to, uh, to skip right past everything else and make us adopted sons that were ready to, uh, to receive this inheritance. Look at verse 5. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. How? According to the good pleasure of his will. Now, some are going to take this, twist it back off and say, you see here, he did it according to his will. It didn't matter about anything. No, no, no. It's saying He has given us this wonderful blessing. Why? Because it pleased Him to do so. He was happy. It, 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 it brought Him pleasure and joy. It, it was according to His will to make us part of this divine inheritance. 
And then also, we find in verse 6, the third reason is because it magnifies the message of His grace. Here's what I want you to understand. We're not looking at several sentences. As I told you last week, we're looking at one great big long sentence. All these thoughts are connected. We're not dividing things or cutting them off here or anything. This is one long sentence that we're looking at. I want you to notice the fact that it says uh, that we are predestinated unto the adoption of children. And then down in verse 6 it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now it's true that we're predestinated to the adoption of children. But the main focus, the main intention of our predestination is not necessarily to the adoption of children. But it's to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. The adoption of children, the the receiving of this inheritance and all the wonderful benefits that go along with it, all of that points to the main purpose of of us being predestined, and that is, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. We are showcases, trophies of the grace of God. Of God. Somebody might ask God, how, how gracious are you? And what he does is he points at Anthony Phillips. I saved that. <laughs> and I didn't just save him. I didn't just make him. He wasn't just born again into my family. But I saved him and I, I esteemed him to an adopted son. A joint heir with Jesus Christ. Partaker in my inheritance. And why? So that you can see just how good my grace is. Very simply, we find here in verse 5 that the Father pre planned before the foundation of the world. To adopt us as His children and give us full access to His blessings. Why? So that we could then be used to glorify Him. That leads us to the third and final thing. Not only are we appointed, not only are we adopted, but we find at the end of verse 6 that we are accepted. We are accepted. Now I want us to look at verse 6 and I just I feel like I have to call this out so I'm going to. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace... Wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. I want you to understand I'm not giving any kind of criticism to this at all. I'm just pointing out some things that I think are going to help us to get a deeper understanding of this verse. The last part of this section, verse 6, has a very difficult translation. And in the King James Version and the New King James, it's translated as, and you'll notice there in the King James, it's translated as, wherein he has made us accepted. That's that's what you should read there. I want you to understand that almost any other translation you read is going to render it something like this, which he bestowed on us. You're not going to find those words, he made us accepted. You're going to see that he, he, he bestowed or he freely bestowed upon us. And I want you to understand, if you ever check that out or look at it, I want you to understand why this issue is going on there. Now, I've translated through Ephesians chapter 1. I want to give my translation just very quickly. So go back up to verse 4. I want you to read along in the King James Version while I read the translation that I I did. And I'm going to start verse 4. Just as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love, having predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ to Himself, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has freely given to us in the beloved. Now, I want you to understand when I translated this, I translated from the very same text that the King James verse uses and the phrase made us accepted that we find here in the King James Version is translated from one Greek word, and I'm not going to read that Greek word, but it's translated from this word, which is simply translated as this, freely given. Freely given. Now the teaching here that we find is that God's grace has been freely given to us and freely bestowed upon us where, if you'll notice at the end of the verse, in the Beloved. You see, in Christ, we have become, we have, we have freely become, excuse me, the objects or recipients of God's grace and goodness. Let me say that one more time. What we find here in this verse is that in Christ, we have freely become the objects or recipients of God's grace and goodness. Another word that's closely linked to this word that's translated as made us accepted, that, that whole phrase there comes from one word, made us accepted. It, it all comes from another word that's, that's very closely linked to our English word favor. Which again does not express selection above others, but it selects, it, it talks about blessings upon us. I looked up just in a simple dictionary, and you can look it up yourself. The word favor means this, a gift bestowed as a token of goodwill, of kind regard, or of love. It says here that he has freely bestowed upon us. He has shown us his favor in the beloved. Now, the difference in translation here can be best explained as an attempt on the part of the translator to convey the deep and rich meaning of this word to the reader. The point of this verse is to show us how God looks at us in the beloved. You see, in the beloved one, I am seen as a beloved son. In the beloved, who is the beloved one? Jesus Christ. In Christ, in the beloved, there's a reason why we have this word beloved instead of just in him or in Christ. In the beloved, when God looks at me, I'm seen as a beloved child of him. In Christ, then I don't have to strive for acceptance. Because I'm already accepted in Him. Now I want you to understand, I was just pointing out some things here. This is not a mistranslation, as far as I'm concerned, when it says that He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Because what it does, it it conveys to us what God has done for you and, and for me in Jesus Christ. That because of His grace, remember, we have been predestined uh, to, as the adoption of sons, so on and so forth, to the praise of the glory of His what? Of His grace, wherein, in that grace, in that very grace, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. When I was, before I got into the translating of this verse and everything and, and just pulling all that out, I was just reading that verse there when it got down to the point where it said that he has made us accepted in the beloved. I was sitting in Chick-fil-A. I guarantee you anybody sitting around me thought I lost my mind or something horrible had happened because I'm reading through that and I read where it says that, that he made us accepted in the beloved. And the truth is, and I think I mentioned this before, so many of us, we've strived for acceptance all our lives. 
We, we strive to be accepted by our parents. We strive to be accepted by uh, our friends. We strive to be accepted by the people in church. We try to be accepted by all these other people. We, we're striving for acceptance. But one of the people that we, we strive the most for is we want acceptance from God. Every time we mess up, we think that, that somehow we've, we've lost that acceptance. Or every time that we, that we sin or we get far away from God, perhaps we think that we've got to work to, to gain that acceptance again. And that day, the Spirit just spoke to my heart as I was reading through there. And, and perhaps, I, I guess I was probably going through some of that myself, where I was kind of worried that God didn't like me but very much right then. I was reading through this verse. And it says, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. And, and the message I got from that is, is that, Anthony, you don't have to strive for my acceptance. When I look at you, I'm seeing you in Christ. I'm seeing you in the beloved one who already has all of my acceptance. And so when I see you in Christ, you're already accepted. Isn't that just a wonderful truth that we have? Just a wonderful confidence that we have in Christ that I, I don't have. Now, I need to watch what I do and I need to go for forgiveness. And I need to, uh, to seek to, to please God and all this. But what I'm saying is I don't have to worry every day whether or not God still accepts me. Amen. Because I am already accepted in the beloved. 